Well, hello, welcome to the Calvary Couples Podcast. I appreciate you tuning in. We are continuing our series on the reliability of the Word of God. And we're here in our second lesson. We're going to kind of break down um, what I'm calling our problem with authority. And really, this is a problem that human nature has had from the very beginning. In fact, if you go back to the very beginning in Genesis, we realize that human beings have had a problem with authority from early on, and the serpent knew this when he questioned Eve. Think about Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Scriptures say, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast in the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. On the surface, it seems like an innocent statement. But what the serpent knows is that human nature is bent to defy authority. And in this case, the serpent takes the word of God that was given to Adam and Eve, and he twists it, and he manipulates it a little bit, and he changes it. He questions the authority of God's very words. So it shouldn't surprise us that as human beings, as, as sinful people, that we have an inherent problem with authority because of our sin nature. Now, the problem of authority is the most fundamental problem the Christian church ever faces. And to be fair, this was even evident not only in a modern culture, in a modern context, but it, it reared its head as early as the first century church. If you think about what Paul says to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 5, um, verses 2 through 4, he essentially is um, giving guidance in a conflict in the church where there's Jewish Christians in the Galatian church who have adhered to a system of legal customs that were given them by Moses, and they're trying to add that to the gospel with which Paul preached and trying to force their legal framework on the Gentiles, saying that, well, in order for them to be fully Christian, they must also be circumcised. And Paul argues strongly against that, and tells them clearly that if we add any law to the gospel, we essentially make the work of Christ of no effect. And in fact, he takes it even further in, in verse 4 and says that adding law to gospel ultimately uh, results in a fall from grace. He reiterates that a little bit in Galatians 1, verse 8 and 9, where he says, if, if an angel, or even if I, Paul, preached to you any gospel than you've already received, any other gospel than the one we've already given, then to consider that person cursed. So we have to be able to, as Christians, take the Word of God as our final authority, not add to nor take away from what the very words of God speak to us. Here's the reality of this, is that those who disagree on what constitutes the final authority, will find no agreement or common ground anywhere else. You might have, um, I guess I could say, uh, differences in interpretation of the Word of God with other Christians. You may read the Scripture or passage of Scripture and come to a slightly different conclusion, or take the whole Scripture of the Bible and in a certain doctrinal area and come to a different conclusion than another Christian. But ultimately, you agree on one fundamental truth, and that is that the Word of God is authoritative, and that the Word of God is the Word of God, and that's your final authority. However, if you are trying to discuss something with someone who does not believe that fundamental truth, that the Scriptures are the very word of, words of God Himself, then you'll never find common ground with that person when it comes to spiritual, theological, and other matters in life. So there's three um, different responses and three rival answers to the question of authority when it comes to the Word of God. And here's some, what some of those questions are. Should the Scriptures be interpreted by itself, or should the Scriptures be interpreted by the Scriptures? Should we let the Word of God speak for itself and interpret itself? That's the first question. 
The second question is, should the scripture be interpreted by some official church source or individual? And I'll say this, that supersedes the scriptures, that essentially the interpretation of an individual will supersede what we read in the Word of God. And the third question is, should scripture be interpreted by an outside biblical evidence applied by man? So for instance, we might start with a presupposition that uh, scientifically I cannot reproduce miracles. So therefore, any miracles that I read about in the Bible can't be true. So I'm coming to it with a man-made presupposition based on outside evidence to interpret the Word of God. So what I'm doing is I'm taking a different authority and I'm placing that framework on what the Scriptures teach. So there's three different responses to each, each of these questions. The first we'll say is the traditional Orthodox um, historic Christianity view, and that is this, that the Scriptures are the Word of God, which God spoke to His church, and it is the final authority for faith and life. Secondly, the Bible does not need to be supplemented and interpreted by tradition. And I emphasize the word need. Of course, we understand that we gather together for corporate worship when we listen to the preaching of the Word of God and someone expounds the Scriptures. We gather together in small group Bible studies and we let the Spirit of God lead us as we study the Word together. So obviously, we read commentaries and we read devotional books and we read very um, helpful material by all kinds of strong Christian people to supplement and help us to interpret the Word of God. However, that doesn't need to. That's, that's, that's the very important word. That um, The evangelical view says that the Bible does not need to be supplemented and interpreted by tradition or revised and corrected by reason. That each of us have access through the Spirit of God as our interpreter to understand the Word of God and what God's Word is teaching us. The third thing is that the proper ground for believing a thing is that God says it in His written Word. That's it. That's the be-all, end-all. God says it in His Word, therefore we believe it. And a readiness to take God's Word and accept what He asserts in the Bible is thus fundamental to the faith. That's what Packer says in his book, Fundamentalism and the Word of God. Now, I do want to be careful and maybe put a little bit of a caution here, and that's this, that what we just said does not undermine that church tradition is important. We gain valuable insight into the Scriptures by learning what the Holy Spirit has revealed to previous generations of Christians. This also does not undermine the necessity of human reason and dependence on the Spirit to interpret the Word and connect its teaching and application to a specific area of living. We cannot discount what God has done by His Spirit through generations of Christians previous to receive from them and build upon what God has given them and an understanding of His Word. We also can't check our reason and logic at the door and just read the Scriptures without figuring out by God's Spirit how can we apply this practically in some area of our living. So that's the first viewpoint. The second viewpoint is the traditionalist view. And the traditionalist view is this, that the final authority for faith and life is the official teaching of an institutional church. And this can take a lot of different, um, um, uh, what's the word I want to use? It can take a lot of different uh, uh, caricatures, I suppose. It can be in different church institutions um, in a very formal way, or it could just be in a local church setting where someone puts themselves as the final authority for faith and life over the Word of God. This view does not question that the Bible is God-given and authoritative. You could um, find a Roman Catholic who would say, absolutely, I agree that the Word of God is God-given and authoritative. You would find a Mormon who would say, I believe that the Word of God, the Bible, is God-given and authoritative. Um, there's many different um, subsets of quasi-Christian um, uh, thinking 
But the problem with all of it, and it's a, it's a systemic problem, is that in, it insists that Scripture is neither sufficient nor easily understood. So in the Roman, Catholic, um, Roman Catholicism, that traditional view would be that not only do you have the Bible, but you have church writings, as well as papal authority, and all of these things work together to provide the Word of God, and is constantly this unfolding uh, revelation. Mormonism would take the Book of Mormon and also put it side by side with the Word of God and say that they're equal, um, ultimately resulting that the Word of God is neither sufficient nor is it easily understood. The third thing about the traditionalist view is that what a Christian should believe is not contingent on what he or she reads in the Bible, but what the church teaches. Faith is primarily a matter of believing what the church lays out. That's a traditionalist view. And then the third one, the third viewpoint that sometimes we can find ourselves getting trapped into, even though we might be people who wholeheartedly say, I believe the scriptures are entirely the word of God, but sometimes we lean when, when, the, when the Scripture um, hits us at our point of need and reveals to us like a sword dividing us under the bones and marrow. Um, here's what the subjectivist view comes to that conclusion. That the final authority for my faith in life is the verdict of my reason, conscience, or religious sentiment. I'll, I'll summarize it this way. By saying, what I feel God says. So I may read a passage of Scripture that speaks specifically to my personal sin. And rather than deal with my sin, I might take the scriptures and apply my reasoning to it because I don't want to address my sin and say, well, this is what I actually think God is saying, or this is what I feel God is saying, rather than reading the scriptures for the clarity that they provide. Another part of this is that the proper ground for believing a thing is not the Bible or tradition that um, contains it, but that reason and conscience commend it. Faith is essentially a matter of being loyal to whatever religious convictions one has. And I could summarize that by saying this phrase, be true to yourself. Well, that's a very difficult thing to be true to because yourself is constantly changing. And what if yourself conflicts with myself? There's no way that we could ever find some mutual understanding if that's the avenue that we take, the subjectivist view. So just to recap, we have the orthodox Christian viewpoint, the evangelical viewpoint, if you want to frame it that way of that scripture is meant to interpret itself, and it's our final rule of authority. The traditional view says that scripture is God-given, but also requires some supplemental material or some person to interpret it for us. The subjectivist viewpoint essentially says that the Word of God is not essentially from God himself, that they are subjective by the writers, they were their religious feelings and sentiment, and it's what we get out of it when we read it, much like when we read a poem or look at an impressionistic painting. Each of us may come to it and take away something different. That's um, not the uh, evangelical viewpoint. So let's get to this part of it. Um, when, we when we talk about the question of authority, especially biblical authority, can we use the Bible to defend its own authority? Can we, um, or is that, would that be considered wholehearted circular reasoning? Well, the illustration that I would provide is this, is if you find yourself in a court of law, say for something like a traffic ticket, are you allowed to offer evidence on behalf of yourself as a defense? Can you give witness testimony of your experience and why you feel that you, are, you should be justified, that you didn't do anything wrong, and can you give witness of your own um, experience and defend yourself? I would argue that absolutely, you can defend yourself in a court of law. However, if I were to get in front of a judge and I were to tell the judge, Judge, I, I should not get this speeding ticket because I do not feel I was speeding. 
and here's why I don't feel I was speeding. Will the judge say, okay, that's fine. That's all the evidence I need. You don't have to have the speeding ticket anymore. I think most of us would say that's highly unlikely, if not impossible. So what I would say is this, is absolutely we can use the scriptures and the word of God to defend itself, to especially an unbelieving person. However, it is helpful to also provide additional evidence and outside biblical evidence as we defend the word of God. And I believe we absolutely can do that in a lot of different ways. But the best way, I think, right now in this lesson is to start with what does the Scripture say about itself? And the first thing to realize is that the Word of God is not a singular book in the sense that it was written cover to cover by one human being at one point in time. The Scriptures are a collection of 66 separate books that were written over thousands of years by multiple different authors from all different backgrounds and all different traditions and all different experiences. Yet, unequivocally, when we look at the Word of God, Every writer in there had the same exact viewpoint, and that is they believed that what they were writing and what they had experienced and what they, what they had read in the past were the very written words of God from the time that Moses received the, the um, carved tablets from God himself by God's own finger to the law that was given to Moses and passed down to how the Psalms and the prophets um, spoke and expounded on the, the law to Jesus, who believed the words of God to be completely authoritative and came to fulfill the law, through the apostles and into the early church, and then continues on in the church today. That witness alone is a very powerful evidence that the scriptures are the very words of God. So let's break that down a little bit. Let's look at the witness of biblical history to the authority of the word of God. The word of God, this is um, a quote from Packer in his book, The Fundamentalism of the Word of God. The word of God constitutes a theological history beginning with Israel. Israel's religion had always been based on the authority of a written word of God. I mentioned previously that God inscribed the tablets written with the finger of God brought down by Moses. The prophetic messages that were received by the children of Israel were considered to be regarded as divine. Human authorship never affected their validity or the reality of divine authorship. So think about Moses, for instance. When the law was given by Moses, the people of Israel didn't say, well, we shouldn't receive these as the very written word of God, because I remember one time Moses murdered someone. Now, that's a true thing. Moses did murder someone. That's recorded for us in Scripture. But that, that didn't um, undermine that the authority of what God gave through Moses. See, what the people of Israel were able to do is look through Moses and see God himself as, as using Moses as a, as a channel to speak to them and to provide them with the law. We could say the same of many biblical writers, such as David. Um, Elijah, Elisha. We could talk about all these different prophets, um, all these different writers, even um, think about Paul, Paul being a murderer uh, in the New Testament, Peter denying Christ. Each one of these human beings was flawed, but at no time in the scriptures did anyone question the authority of the word of God that was given to them because of the human author or the human writer. They all realized it as being of divine authorship from God himself. During and after the time of Christ, the Old Testament and its entire contents were considered and received, as Paul states in Romans 3 and verse 2, as the oracles of God. And they were expected to be treasured, studied, and obeyed. So there's a little bit of just a snapshot of the witness of the biblical history to authority. Let's look at the witness of Christ. What did Jesus have to say about the words of God, about the scriptures themselves? Jesus Christ did not reject biblical authority. Rather, he accepted it. Jesus built on it. He endorsed it with the full weight of his authority. And I believe in John 7 and verse 16, Christ says that I, I'm not giving you any new doctrine. I am giving you the doctrine that was given to me by the Father. 
I'm not giving you any new message. I'm providing you the same message that was given to me by the Father himself. I believe it's in Mark chapter 13 where Jesus says that heaven and earth, I think he's quoting Isaiah 40, says that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall remain forever. It's an eternal word. So he's not coming to reject the word of God. He's not coming to reject the law that was given to Israel. He is coming to accept it, build on it, endorse it, and to fulfill it in its entirety. Here's a quote from Packer's book again. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who claimed divine authority for all that he taught, did and taught, both confirmed the absolute authority of the Old Testament for others and submitted to it unreservedly for himself. Think about when Jesus quotes Scripture as authoritative to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 19 when they're questioning him on marriage and a husband and a wife and um, how all that will work out uh, in heaven. He quotes to them Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 and reiterates and explains to them what the Scripture says about the matter. Jesus treats arguments from Scripture as absolute truth. There's no appeal against it. In John 10.35, Jesus speaks to the point where he says that Scripture cannot be broken. It is an unbroken thing. And he treats it as absolute truth that can't be argued against. In other areas where the Pharisees, for instance, or the Sadducees had misinterpreted the Scriptures, Jesus doesn't undermine or throw away the Scriptures. What he does is he disentangles the Word of God from the traditions of religious ritual and custom. He never undermines the Scripture. Jesus submitted to the law himself by reading it and being fully immersed and saturated in its teachings. I think of his experience in the wilderness in Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4. Every time he's tempted of the devil, he immediately responds with the, with the scriptures. And one thing to realize is that Jesus' humanity was a very real thing. Sometimes we cast that off as, well, why wouldn't Jesus speak the word of God to, the, to Satan? Because he is the word and he's God, so he must know everything, all scripture, from cover to cover. Well, the thing that I would argue is that the Philippians tells us that he poured out some of his godlike nature as he took on humanity. Now, he's all God, he's all divine, he's all humanity, but the humanity, limit, he self-limited himself a little bit. And what I mean by that is there's a possibility that Jesus had to learn, just like human beings had to learn. And I think there's evidence for that when we find Jesus at the temple early on as a teenager, where he is about his father's business. And the rabbis and the teachers that were there were astounded not only at his knowledge of the Word of God itself, but also at his ability to interpret the Word of God, because he is the Christ. So what I mean by that is, if Jesus Christ was diligent and disciplined to study and become a student of the words of his Father, of the Word of God, then why wouldn't you and I take that same example, to become diligent students of the Scripture? I imagine that most of the time we fall, and I fall and falter in life, is because I have failed to discipline myself, to be a student of the Word of God and fully immerse and saturate myself in the teachings that God Himself has spoken to us through His Word. It all culminates here with the, with the witness of Christ, and that's this, that Jesus ended a life in obedience to Scripture by dying in obedience to Scripture. He looked to the Father to raise Him from the dead in fulfillment of the Scripture. And that's the testimony He gave in Luke chapter 24, when He's talking with the, those on the road to Emmaus, where He says, All the Scriptures speak of Me, that I would suffer, that I would die, and on the third day, I would rise again. So here's some takeaways that I want you to grab as we leave this, some practical things that you can use, and that's this. The Old Testament is to be received on the authority of Christ, even beyond the witness of itself. It is the authoritative written utterance of God, completely true and trustworthy. Each confirms the other, so we cannot have Christ with his word, nor the word of God without Christ. And the second thing is 
to learn what we must do as followers, we cannot regard just what we hear Jesus say in the New Testament alone and say, well, that's the only part of the Word of God that I'm going to follow. No, we have to take his teaching in the New Testament and the Old Testament together, reading the Old Testament in anticipation of the New Testament. When we read of Moses as a lawgiver, we anticipate the great fulfiller of the law, Christ, to come. When we read of David as this king of, king of Israel, we read it in anticipation of the great king who is to come. When we, think, when we read about Elijah as this great prophet, we look to the New Testament and we're looking forward to the great prophet who is to come. When we think about Aaron as the great high priest, we are looking forward to uh, Christ who is the perfect high priest, who not only ushers himself into the presence of God, he ushers all of us with him. So reading the Old Testament in anticipation of the New Testament and the New Testament as expanding and revealing the Old Testament. You can't get very far in reading the New Testament without finding Jesus or the apostles constantly quoting from the Old Testament scripture and expanding and expounding on the message that it gives. So be careful when someone says that the final authority for Christians is not scripture, but any other thing, even Christ, standing apart from scripture and above it, because the testimony of Christ himself is that he came not to judge the scriptures, but to obey it and fulfill it. So should we follow his example to immerse ourselves in it and obey it in every area of life. I hope the takeaway is this, that you have gotten a little bit more interested or excited in studying the Word of God for yourself. And not only studying it, but taking the example of Christ to completely um, give yourself wholeheartedly to obeying it in every area of life. Let us humble ourselves before the Word of God. Rather than place ourselves as authority over it, let's humble ourselves and heed its message. For additional reading, if you want to read more on the subject, I would encourage you to read two books. The first is by Wayne Grudem. It's, um, it's a, it's, he split up his um, systematic theology writings into smaller sections, and this particular section on the Bible is called Making Sense of the Bible by Wayne Grudem. Highly recommend it for your own personal reading. Another great book to get your hands on is Thy Word is Truth by Edward J. Young. I highly recommend both of those resources if you want to dig in further. Again, as I mentioned in the last lesson, a lot of this content is coming from J.I. Packer's book, Fundamentalism and the Word of God. Extremely helpful. I hope that um, this has piqued your interest a little bit and that you'll dig into studying the Word of God with me. If I can ever be a help to you, please reach out. My email is jcehulik at calvaryashland.org. I'm sorry, at calvaryashland.com. Please feel free to share this with anyone that you think it might be a help to, and I hope that this will equip you to be a better witness for Christ and to give you the boldness that you need to step out and stand forward and proclaim the Word of God as truth. Look forward to seeing you next time. Hope you have a great day. Thank you.